This is the Sheffield Vineyard Podcast. We love Jesus and we want to be a people that follow him with all of our lives. We love our city of Sheffield and we want to see it full of people who are full of the life that Jesus has to offer. Hello, I'm Alex, uh, if we've not met before. Um, a few weeks ago, we started a new uh, series on uh, the book of Psalms. Hi. Hey, do you want to listen to about Psalms? I, honestly, I'm going to give you a top tip. It is not, it's going to be really boring. <laughs> Super dull. Anyhow, um, Psalms is, is like no other book in the Bible. Um, the, it's the only book in the Bible that contains words that are written to God as distinct to from God. So in all the other parts of the Bible, we get to hear about, say, how to pray or uh, uh, what to pray and that sort of stuff. But in the Psalms, we hear the prayers of the people to God. And the Psalms are uniquely helpful at showing us how to voice matters that sort of dwell in our heart. They find voice to a range of emotions such as thanking God or praising God and despair, many other things besides. And this series, it seeks to pick out uh, each week a particular um, emotion um, and then to sort of illuminate that. And today, um, we're going to look at about one third of all psalms, which look at prayers of lament. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sarah started off by looking at praise. Oh, Sarah's out there now. Not praise, I'm sorry, wisdom. Uh, Matt talked last week about praise, and then today we're going to look at uh, lament, prayers of lament. And we're going to look at one psalm in particular, it's Psalm uh, 13. Uh, so I'm just going to dive in there and we'll read that together right now. I think the words are going to be on the screen as well. Psalm 13 says, How much longer, Lord, will you forget about me? Will it be forever? How long will you hide? How long must I be confused and miserable all day? How long will my enemies keep beating me down? Please listen, Lord God, and answer my prayers. Make my eyes sparkle again, or else I will fall into the sleep of death. My enemies will say, now we've won. They will be greatly pleased when I am defeated. I trust your love. I feel like celebrating because you rescued me. You have been good to me, Lord, and I will sing about you. And that's the whole psalm. That's it from start to finish. The psalm was probably written by, well, we know it was written by David, but it was probably written um, whilst he was in, uh, uh, on the verge of despair and exhausted. It's likely that he wrote it shortly after he was um, anointed to be the king of Israel, but hadn't yet sort of taken up that king position. 
It was during a time when David slowly rose from a very humble position of a shepherd's boy to become an esteemed king. And he wasn't just accepted as this king by Samuel. Eventually, he would be accepted as king by the tribe of Judah and then by the whole of Israel. And as this sort of transition, it's quite a slow transition, as it was happening, uh, Saul, who was the current king of Israel, was on the downturn. So having started as a very promising man of God, um, he became prideful and he started to lack integrity. Seeing David grow in favour as he descended, Saul became uh, jealous and he eventually conspired to kill David. Now, David was confused. I mean, he had done nothing wrong whatsoever. And so scared for his life, he ran into the wilderness on his own and he hid. And it was, it's likely that as David was hiding in the wilderness, in fear that he wrote Psalm 13. And we get to see a, a, the real depth of despair that, G, uh, that David felt. He seemed as though, it seemed as though to him that there was no way out of the situation. And it felt like even God had left him alone to fend for himself. Psalm 13, no doubt, is included in the catalogue of Psalms, not just because it's the record of one man's feelings, but because it's typical of how many of us feel from time to time. Simon and Garfunkel wrote much the same thing as David. Hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again. And I would argue that we all experience isolation and despair in ways and in times and seasons that are unique to our own journey and walk with the Lord. And so I think this is a good psalm to study. It's a good psalm to study because it actually helps us to outline and define what a lament actually is. And typically, a lament prayer has three parts to it. The first part, which you can see here in red, are the first two verses, and they talk about honesty. They talk about a person addressing God from a posture of honesty and presenting their sorrow or pain or complaint. In the instance of Psalm 13, David honestly expresses the agony of feeling distant from God. How long, he asks. Four times he asks that in just two verses. How long will the Lord seemingly be distant from me? The absence of God is agonizing and he feels like he's in a boxing match being pounded relentlessly by somebody else. The second two verses in this uh, psalm make the second part of a lament prayer and they are an appeal to God to intervene. Again in the Psalm 13, we see David is calling on God to notice his despair and answer his prayers for protection. Put the spark of life in my eyes, he asks God, and keep me from being captured. You know, least my enemies would boast of my demise. 
And then the last part, those last two verses in green, that's, uh, it brings a hope that leads to praise and worship. And so a lament will often end with an expression of hope that God will indeed help, and which causes an outpouring of praise. And in verses six, uh, sorry, five and six of Psalm 13, they talk about uh, a joy of knowing the closeness of God. Now, there is a bit of a sudden jump, you will have noticed, right, between the first four verses and those last two verses, a big jump from doom and gloom to praise. How did that happen? I don't think it's any more complicated than this. We simply feel better when we are close to the presence of God. Coming to God and being real with him forms a connection which is medicine for our souls. And so a lament prayer involves these three things. It, involves, it starts with the honesty to God, it leads to an appeal for God to intervene, and it ends with a hope that causes us to praise God. And I want to just look at these three parts in just a little bit more detail, uh, one by one. So the ignition key, honesty. I've got, a, I've got some friends who have an app called Be Real. Have you heard of that? A few nods. If you've not come across it before, here's how it works. Every, every day, um, at a different time of the day, uh, people in a group are notified simultaneously to capture a photograph which they then have to share to the group within two minutes. And it's a way to discover what your friends are actually like. It's the antidote to the fake poses that, are fear, that appear spontaneous but they're in fact often as a result of an orchestrated preparation and then quite a lot of Photoshop. Be Real attempts to capture real life. It's a means to show the tomato ketchup stains on our jumper and all of our wrinkles. And uh, as luck would have it, I found some photographs of my children uh, when they were a bit younger. Now this isn't from Be Real, but it helps to demonstrate my core message here, which is, you know, people appear differently when they have a camera in front of them. They, they strike a pose, they look amazing, they look really good, but when they, when they think I'm not looking, they become normal. And I wanted to show you one photograph of my two boys here when we're on holiday. Here they are. Um, this is when they know the camera is looking at them. Now, this next photo, I want you to see if you can spot the difference. There they are <laughs> when, when they think no one's looking. This is their normal, real life. I've got another example again. Here's, here's my boys. As, there they are, just starting their new school, looking amazing. And again, there's a, just a slight difference here. And I wonder if you can spot this for me with this next photograph. There it is. <laughs> You can see just a slight difference there. That's them being absolutely normal. And as you know, I'm never one to pass on an opportunity 
to make my friend Matt look foolish in a public setting. <laughs> and so I have another example. Again, this is of my good friend Matt coming up here, looking very studious. He's, he's doing some work on his piano, looking absolutely amazing. But um, there, was, there was, I managed to capture, I think, what, a photograph that, yeah, there it is. <laughs> this is the Matt who we all know and love. It brings me particular joy to know that Matt's parents are by chance here today and a real proud parent moment right there. <laughs> so, um, my point is, it is good to be honest with the Lord and be with him as we ordinarily are, not paint that fake picture that we get to see when we have a photograph or when we put something on, well, I would say Facebook, but that's not the thing anymore. What is it, Snapchat and Instagram and stuff like that. It's good to be honest with God and just, just reveal, let him see who we actually really are because lamenting starts with an honest life. And it then moves on to an appeal to God to intervene. Uh, we mentioned it just a moment ago, actually, about um, uh, Asbury. Um, something really amazing has been recently happening in this tiny town called Asbury, which is in Kentucky, America. Um, and things are, are is, what's happening is now starting to sort of emanate from this town and, and uh, it's moving around regions of the world. But let me just tell you a little bit about what's happening there, because I think it's important to know this stuff. It started on the 8th of February, and it started in a theological seminary teaching hall when 19 students uh, gathered to pray at Hughes Auditorium as part of their regular chapel service. And it's there that the Spirit fell um, on that place, and so they just carried on worshipping and praying. And they just carried on and on and on. And as word got out, that something was happening at Asbury Hall. Others came and joined in, and they also were affected by the Holy Spirit, and it just grew, and it went continuous. Three days later, every seat of the 1,500 capacity auditorium was full. And on the 19th of February, so that's just 11 days later, it was estimated that 20,000 people were in that town of 5,000 to be part of this event that was exploding in the auditorium. It was also calculated that up until that point, 50,000 people had visited the area because of what's happening. It's growing and it's subsequently growing so much that it's difficult to count. What we do know is the crowds are so large that the police have been uh, involved because the sewage system of the town is unable to cope with the capacity of people there. Um, our national director, one of them, uh, Debbie Wright, went to Asbury uh, to see for herself uh, what's happened. And, and she wrote in, a, um, in Christianity, um, she wrote this. 
Over the years, we've been, uh, we have prayed for something like this, an awakening, a revival, an outpouring, or whatever it may be called. We can leave the name to those who write history, but it feels like this is indeed history in the making and the beginnings of something significant. She continues, as I witnessed the young people who were singing and praying and reading scripture and giving powerful testimonies, the most moving were those who had been f- set free from anxiety, receiving a fresh vision for their lives. Some had come feeling hopeless with their fear, I'm sorry, with their faith in tatters, and yet here in this place of simple worship and adoration, they were being transformed and being called afresh. Within this, so many people were being delivered and released from suicidal thoughts, fear, and anxiety. Hopelessness is being lifted, and the freedom being experienced is a joy to behold. You can find out more about what's going on. You can read that whole article that she wrote in Christian, uh, Christianity magazine. It's free online. And also, there's a really good podcast which is... Um, talking about it, the host is Jay Pathak, who is the National Director of the Vineyard Churches in USA, and he was speaking to a guy called um, uh, Jason Duncan, who is a, a local vineyard pastor and looks after the Asbury area, and they, were, they just talk about what's going on there. It's amazing and very funny, incidentally, and that podcast is part of a series called We Are Vineyard. And the reports that are coming out of this uh, revival or outworking or whatever it's called, they say that there's a large number of people calling out to God to come and meet them at their place of need. And the events of Asbury are an amazing example of people's appeals at times of suffering and how they're being met by God's presence. Uh, on the matter of um, appealing to God to intervene in our lives, it's worth considering how, how to not go about doing that. Um, when, we, when we ask God to intervene in our lives, more often than not, and this was certainly the case for me, our petition goes a bit like this. Hey God, I'm having a problem I'd like for you to intervene and sort it all out. And here's how I'd like you to do it. And then we proceed to sort of explain to God how he should do his job. Now, a better version of that prayer is like this. It says, hey, God, I'm having a problem, and I'd just like you to intervene and sort it out. And then you don't say anything else. You just stop. That's a much better prayer. And that's important. It's also very hard because it involves believing that God has a plan, not just for the world at large, but for you as an individual. And it involves believing that God uh, listens to you, responds to you, and then, because of his love for you, actually acts in response to your requests. And that's really hard to believe sometimes. It's also hard because... We have within us this kind of need to always be in control of our lives. And and when we ask for God to do whatever he wants, 
That kind of goes against that natural propensity that we have to, uh, to be in control. I remember when I was planning to go to university, how I appealed to God to sort it all out for me, but I really wanted to go to Manchester University. And so my prayer went like this, please send me, Lord, to the university of your choice because you know what's best for me, but please make that best choice Manchester. Now, I never went to Manchester University, and it seemed that God felt it the, the best thing to do was to make the decision as to where I go for the next three years of my life. That decision was to be made whilst I was in Kenya, where there was no chance for me to communicate with anyone else at all. And then he thought what would be a really great thing to do was to involve my parents in the whole decision process. I thought that was the worst plan ever. And because my parents have never been to university, they have no idea about the university application process. Um, I thought that was a catastrophe. And my worries were confirmed when, when I got back from Kenya, I realized that I'd been accepted at Huddersfield University. I said to my parents, where is Huddersfield? And they said, we don't know. I was like, Next time, Lord, please, will you just listen to me? Because my plan was way better than this plan. I don't really want to go to Huddersfield at all. But as it turns out, God had a little surprise for me. And I didn't know this, but the architecture course at Huddersfield University was the only course that did international architecture, which focused on providing relief and development in uh, impoverished areas, mostly in the Middle East. And so whilst I was on a missions trip in Kenya, God orchestrated, against my best judgment, to go to a university which studied international architecture. And as part of that course, I studied earthquake-resistant architecture at the University of Amman in Jordan. And I loved every moment of it. Like, there was no way I would have enjoyed Manchester anywhere like I loved Huddersfield. I loved it so much that I became a part-time lecturer there, and I've been a part-time lecturing there for 25 years since. My advice is ask God for stuff, but don't tell God how to do his job just try your best to rest in the knowledge that he knows best. And so lamenting leads to appealing to God. And we can see that David did exactly that and only that. He said, please listen, Lord God, and answer my prayers. Make my eyes sparkle again. And then that's it. He, he kind of left it there. He didn't say, and look, here's how I'd like for you to save me. Here's a good plan that you could uh, you know, put into practice, which would enable me to become the king of Israel, just like you said that would happen. No, he just, he just left it up to God to do all the hard work. Now, so far we've looked at um, 
Uh, a prayer of lament starting with honesty, it leads to an appeal, but then it turns to hope that causes praise. Now, how did, how did David turn from despair to a position whereby he could say, like all of a sudden, I trust your love and I feel like celebrating because you rescued me. You have been good to me, Lord, and I will sing about you. So after three days of thinking, this is where I've landed. I don't know why it happens. I just know it happens. I wonder if it's a bit like this. And I've got this little analogy. So behind me here, I've got this bucket. Okay, and over here, I've got some balls, which are just for me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and throw the ball in the bucket. Here we go. It's just not very good. Doesn't help that I've got my reading glasses on. Uh, maybe if I get a bit closer. Oh, we're getting there. Hold on. Right, I'm going to have a few more go. If I get closer, I'm pretty sure. I'm going to take my glasses off as well. That was, this is going to be really helpful. No. Almost. No. This is going well. Oh, come on. Yeah, oh, yes. Okay, now, it, now, my point is, if you get really close to the bucket, you can get all the balls in the bucket. And I just, I just think, if the aim of the game is to get the balls in the bucket, you're going to do better if you're close to the bucket. Well, look, if the aim of the game is to ask God to help, the, the process of asking draws you near to the person who's going to do the answering. It's just that's the way it goes. The very act of throwing all of our stuff onto him draws us to him. It causes us to at least get within throwing distance of him. And I just think that when we are close to God, things turn out to be much better for us. Being real with him in close proximity forms this connection, and that connection is medicine for our souls. And it's because he's the only one that we need, and he's everything we need. He alone is our hope. God is a bit like the, the central pole to a teepee net, a, a teepee tent, rather. Um, you know, you can imagine that tent without the pole. Everything would just collapse. But with him, everything else works well. And I guess that when we become aware of that, when the, the centrality and the importance of God in our lives, then that in of itself causes us to praise and worship him. It's just the way it works. And I want to finish by ending with um, something else that Debbie wrote um, when she was in Asbury. She said, What struck me most was the utter abandonment in worship. There was no holding back. The fervor in the room was not dependent on who was singing or leading. It seemed to be more dependent on the hunger with which the young people worshipped and responded to Jesus.
Young people drawn by him and in response are consecrating themselves before the king. They are being renewed and transformed by Jesus. His spirit strengthens them in their faith. It's serious, it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And so a lament prayer starts with honesty. It leads to appealing to God and it ends with a hope that causes us to uh, praise and worship the Lord. Lamenting is a process where fear and anxiety and sorrow and grief can be exchanged for hope and praise. God designed it. Jesus practiced it. And I wonder if it would be good for us to do the same now. So we're going to have our little time of ministry. We'd love to invite you to be part of the community at Sheffield Vineyard. You can head to the website and find more information about how you can serve, join a life group and get involved in church life in general. Bless you and have a great week.